0: Welcome to the Revival Leadership Podcast, where our goal is to help Kingdom leaders become Revival leaders. My name is Adam Croft. I'm Campus Ministry Director in Rhode Island and Southeastern Massachusetts on staff with Innovarsity for the past 10 years. And with me on the podcast is Greg Johnson, who's also a Campus Ministry Director with Innovarsity on the south coast of New England. Greg and I are trying to personally leverage our leadership roles in InterVarsity and in the church planting network we help lead in Providence, Rhode Island to help our community seek God for revival, to experience revival, and to be ready to partner with God in leading it when it comes. We think that revival is a critical concept for kingdom leaders in this moment of uh, the church in the West.
1: Yeah, so, so far on the podcast, uh, we've been exploring how revival is this pattern in the history of redemption and how it's especially relevant to us right now as we're in a season of spiritual decline, especially in the Western church. And so we took a stab last on the last episode at defining revival as a season of breakthrough in word, deed, and power that ushers in a new normal of kingdom experience and fruitfulness. And today, we wanna begin exploring what exactly revival leadership is and what
0: it looks like. What is the kind of human leadership God uses in times of revival? And to do that, we sat down with a friend of ours who we consider a revival leader. Uh, So we sat down with our friend, colleague, mentor, Ryan Pfeiffer, who is also a ministry director with InterVarsity in the San Diego area. He's been on staff for the past 20 years and has had a huge influence on not only our movement, but both of us and many others. And one of the things that we really love about Ryan is how his passion for revival flows so deeply out of his own testimony of conversion, and how it's so profoundly shaped his leadership uh, in the way that he ministers. He's not only studied revival, um, but he can talk about it for hours on end, but he also embodies it in his life. Yeah. And
1: so
2: today we want to talk with Ryan about how revival is fundamentally about an inbreaking of God's kingdom. It's this dynamic that
1: begins like a mustard seed, it begins in one person or a small group of people, but
2: it grows in influence almost like a disease or an epidemic until a whole community, even an entire nation, experiences a breakthrough of some facet of God's kingdom, literally some aspect of heaven coming to earth. And this inbreaking of God's kingdom is a radical change. It's far deeper from a new
1: strategy or a new season of growth or even a burst of enthusiasm, though revival
2: can produce all those things. Revival gets down to the roots of not only what the church does but how we do it and why we do it, and it brings transformation at that profound, fundamental level, and this transformation spreads and radiates
1: outward into the Christian community and eventually into the world. So, yeah, one thing I wanted to ask, Ryan, is um, when did revival become important to you personally?
3: It became important to me uh, not too long, actually, maybe about a year after my conversion, and when I became a Christian, my family, who didn't know Jesus, didn't follow Jesus, really quickly became a burden on my heart. And I started to realize that what God had done in my life, I really desperately, desperately wanted to see God do to my family's life. And my mm-hmm. mom, my dad, and my four siblings. Mm-hmm. Discovering the historical precedent of revival demonstrated to me that what God did in, me, in, an, in an individual was something that God could do for a whole community. Mm -hmm. And it just blew my mind that what God had done in me was something that he could do in my whole family. And so for me, right at the outset, revival was this idea that what God can do, the way that God can revolutionize an individual life, he can revolutionize a family, a community, a huge community of people, even Mm -hmm. a nation. Mm -hmm. And that instantly grasped my imagination Mm -hmm. and so my awareness of revival and my yearning for it began out of my longing for my family to come to faith
1: yeah yeah so in some ways like what you're talking about is revival is um is something that happens on a large scale but it also can happen in an individual life that's right so it's like a it's like a dynamic of god what would you say like the dynamic is in revival like what what happened in your own heart that you as you started studying revival you saw it happen in history and like larger groups of people
3: i love the word dynamic because revival is in itself a noun mm-hmm. but it's more often used as a verb of some sort like mm-hmm. god revive us revive this revive that it's, mm-hmm. i don't know that it's used the, the noun form is is often used in the Bible. Mm-hmm. It's more this verb idea. and
1: Like in like Psalm 85, yeah. oh God, that you would revive us again.
3: Yeah, it's yeah. something that God would do. Yeah. And when you look at the history of re- revivals, you see the the, the, the the content of the revival varies greatly. If you look mm-hmm. at Martin Luther, the content of that revival season versus Savonarala. Um, that's really different than if you compare it to St. Francis of Assisi. Mm-hmm. Than if you jump all the way into the twentieth century to Evan Roberts. I mean, the content. I mean, yes, mm-hmm. it's about Jesus, but mm-hmm. you know, in so many other ways, it was it was so many different elements that were really triggering yeah. the revival. But what's common is this is the dynamic itself. And so huh. I came to look at revival um, more as the way we describe. The dynamic of the kingdom breaking into our world. Mm-hmm. And so Jesus shows up on the scene saying that the kingdom of God has arrived. And he yeah. begins to demonstrate it yeah. by doing signs and wonders and teaching and yeah. this lifestyle. Yeah, And uh, you, you study the gospel of Mark and you just see that dynamic at play. Immediately this and immediately that. He really captures the dynamic element of it. Yeah, And so revival for me became about the way in which the kingdom in different places with different maybe core messages uh, were interrupting the status quo Mm -hmm. of the time Mm -hmm. and disrupting the status quo with a breakthrough of the kingdom.
1: Right. So like for instance, in in medieval Europe, you've got the Catholic Church and it's been coasting along and some good things have happened. But by and large, it's become... (laughs) fairly stale, it's become kind of ritualistic, it had all these hypocrisies and indulgences, and um, but then all of a sudden this this um, monk, Martin Luther, has first of all this kind of dramatic experience of conviction of sin, and then he experiences um, almost a, a revelation of the Gospel in the book of Romans and it, it ushers in this whole new what you'd call like a breakthrough in the church in germany first that spread people discovering salvation by grace discovering things that were already there before but it leads to this outgrowth of spiritual life and that's like one like time-bound example of the kingdom breaking in in a specific way that's kind of like what you're talking about
3: yeah and so as a dynamic we're talking about The way in which the the kingdom of God interrupts, disrupts, breaks into um, the status quo of our world. And um, as a dynamic, we're not talking about a specific event. Yeah. So I think when people think of revival, sometimes they think of like an event, like a large gathering of people.
1: Mm
3: -hmm. And I think that really misses uh, the the bigger picture and the heart of what revival is fundamentally about. Yeah. And um, it, there's no formula like, okay, if you talk about this, that or the other, then you're going to have a revival. If we just confess our sins, we have a revival or every revival has some basic message. I mean, of course, Jesus and the cross, the essential elements of the gospel are present in all these revivals. Um, but what you see is the way in which the kingdom of God is breaking through is different and varying. Yeah. Some are more predicated on like, like an intellectual breakthrough, like a yeah. theological breakthrough. Yeah. Like Um, the Reformation, like the Reformation, Um, and others are coming in through really different ways. Like you, you, if you look at a totally different example, you'll see Evan Roberts in Wales. You'll just see this guy having this radical breakthrough of prayer in his life and Mm -hmm. encounters with God.
1: Mm
3: -hmm. That energizes him to then go out into his community and catalyze their own breakthrough in their prayer life and their encounters with God that resulted in the kingdom of God rushing into individual lives in the community. Yeah. And you see that in people realizing just how close Jesus is to them, how close God is. You see people that no one ever expected or believed could ever come to faith coming to faith. Yeah. You uh, God, But when you read the story of Martin Luther, you, you, you really don't get that same texture. Yeah. Um, you get a really different kind of a feeling and yet you can't deny yeah, we can call it reformation. We can call this event an awakening or that a revival. But fundamentally, what you see it that they all have in common is the radical breaking in of God's kingdom and people's lives are being transformed.
1: Yeah. yeah. And it often happens, like, would you, it often happens in one, one person's life or a few people's lives. And then something happens. It's almost like a disease, it's communicable. Other people begin to experience it as well
3: that contagious that, yeah. element of it. Yeah. Yeah, and you see that described by Jesus. well you see it modeled in his life. Like he mm-hmm. shows up and he's the gospel. I mean, he's an individual. Jesus is. As yeah, yeah Jesus yeah. as an individual is like is embodies his own teaching. He's like this mustard seed. Yeah. And he gathers a core, a small group of people around him. Yeah. Which again, you represent a type of mustard seed, anything small that becomes large, which is what you see with the revivals you see. And uh, so not every breakthrough in an individual results in sort of a corporate communal revival, but yeah. no revival um, has started with anything less than an individual yeah. who's had a fundamental breakthrough of God's kingdom into their yeah. life that's revolutionized yeah. them yeah. that then um, becomes a contagious element. Yeah. So you, and you see that and you go back into the even the Old Testament, you see these precursors, these foreshadows of this dynamic. You see yeah. it with the prophets and the judges, right? You look, yeah. at, look at Gideon. Yeah. Here's Gideon and he has an encounter with God and and th- because of that encounter, he has an impact on his community. Remember yeah. remember how he goes in and he tears down the idol? Yeah, His dad his... comes to his defense and that disrupts his, his his immediate community. But then he rallies people and yeah. they take on these this invading force and yeah. that has huge implications for yeah. the broader community of Israel.
1: Yeah.
3: But it, the Bible goes out of its way to depict these individuals, yeah. Abraham, Moses, mm-hmm. and it isn't necessarily um uh that these individuals are the hero but it's it's indicative of that god can works with small things that and with a small thing he can do a great thing yeah the emphasis in the new testament that differs from the old testament is the emphasis is on communities of people yeah um, even with paul you see him with barnabas or you yeah. see him with the close people with him but yeah. that's the yeah. mustard seed it's yeah. like this individual in these communities of people yeah. that are willing to risk a lot because of what God is doing in them and to share it with the world and yeah. to sh- and they risk willing to risk the alienation, the disruption, the misunderstanding yeah. that comes with these revival movements. Yeah. But yeah. you see that, same again, that dynamic. Yeah. It starts within individuals. It starts small. Yeah. And like that mustard seed, it grows and it becomes yeah. something something so large yeah. that um, it begins to transform culture.
1: Yeah. And so back to, back to your life Ryan cuz so I'm I'm one of the people that's been influenced by you. I mean, you had this encounter with God and was it was in college, right? When you came to faith personally.
3: Yeah, right before college. Or right before college. Yeah, yeah. Right. A year before I went to college.
1: Yeah. And then and then out of that, you had this this relationship with Jesus and began to long for transformation in your family. And if I have your story right, I mean, you were you praying for that and seeking God for that, and then that happened fairly radically, right?
3: What for my family? Yeah, yeah. In some ways, and I think that's another uh, sort of popular misconception about revival. I think, um, in my th- you know, one way of thinking about revival is to think about it as like a, like a sudden, explosive breakthrough of God's yeah. work. Um, but the truth is, there's always a groundswell. There's always a buildup to that breakthrough. Yeah. And I think it's easy to maybe focus on the moment where, gosh, we really see now what's happening on the surface. But yeah. ignoring the buildup process, it it, uh, it minimizes and betrays the true nature and, uh, and process of a revival movement. Mm-hmm. And it's not. it really doesn't just go from zero to 100. Yeah. It's just that the buildup process is underneath the surface of the soil. So we don't recognize it necessarily. Yeah. And with my family, um, it was 20 years before I'd see everyone at some point in their journey accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. Wow! And that's been a messy journey. I've had yeah. some family members, you know, accept Jesus, but then, you know, they're in their commitment to follow out that decision, have struggled to make sense of what that means over the yeah. long course of their life. Yeah. But the point being that from start to finish, it was like a 20-year process. Yeah. To pick one example was my dad. Yeah. And I was praying for my dad because he was adamantly, uh, an adamant unbeliever, strongly yeah. opposed to believing in Jesus and would even get offended and frustrated if I ever tried to bring it up with him. Yeah, It was six years of praying for my dad Yeah, before I ever saw any indication yeah. that God was doing anything like spiritually positive in his life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So at year one, I would I, I I'm trying to share the gospel with my dad and just witnessing about Jesus through my own personal experience, and he stopped me mid mid sentences and said, "I don't ever want you to try to convert me. Don't ever talk to me about Jesus ever again." And so from that moment on, I couldn't have explicit direct yeah. conversation with him. But yeah. then six years later, yeah, he's on his knees in my bedroom, yeah, weeping as he begs me to tell him how to find salvation through Christ.
2: Come on, dude, it's so powerful.
3: Yeah, and that process wasn't just about my dad's conversion. It was connected to um, this larger movement in my family, this larger dynamic where my brother's coming to faith, then my dad, then my other siblings, and my mom, and starting to sift into outside family members, into my wife and her family. And so it was many years, and I think that's an important reality. And I love Jesus' agricultural metaphors because... They kind of capture that process, yeah. And if we don't understand that about revival, we we are quickly subject to frustration and disillusionment.
1: Yeah, yeah. And one thing, too, is like uh, that process of of your own faith and then longing for that to happen in your family. Um, another place you were longing to see revival was on the campus. So you. Ryan does inter varsity um, uh, does Ministry with inter varsity you're on been on staff for like
3: 20 years 20 years
1: and first 13
3: at, years was at UCSD and in, then I became the director for San Diego so then I was on all the campuses in San Diego yeah
1: and um, and when you were first on on staff at University of California San Diego um, you guys I mean you were longing to see, Kind of a breakthrough uh a, a move of revival on campus see people come to faith but it was a while before you know you guys saw that right
3: yeah i if we were to go back i it was i was a i was a college student and i was gathering friends to pray at a certain spot on a weekly basis with friend uh, for revival on campus yeah and um we didn't see what we would have what we were imagining as revival in that couple year period of students praying yeah. but then i came on staff yeah no doubt that that prayer for revival affected my heart for the campus you know yeah. i'm looking for god to do something big and carpet on the campus yeah. but those prayers for revival were looking back i see they were affecting me yeah and wedding and bonding my heart to the campus because mm-hmm. during that two-year period I had no intention of going on staff mm-hmm. and dedicating the next 20 years of my life to the campus. Yeah, I went to UCSD to become a doctor and certainly not to become a campus missionary. Yeah. So when I graduated, uh, I had those two years of praying for a revival burning in my heart. Mm-hmm. And you know that must have had some effect that then resulted in me coming on staff and for the next 13 years, I'm praying for revival on a regular basis on that campus, and I started gathering students. I would gather people from other Christian fellowships, mm-hmm. and these kind of gatherings, sometimes they would last for a couple months, and they would drop away, mm-hmm. we would, and I'd find other people that wanted to pray. Mm-hmm. There wasn't any one group that I prayed you know, straight. It wasn't that simple. It was messy, and I was always looking for people who I was looking for synergy. Yeah. I was looking for the people who had a similar burden, and there was synergy, and and just to kind of keep looking for those opportunities to find people who I could yoke up with and pray with. Yeah. And I remember one of those gatherings of prayer was with a couple people I was on staff with. Yeah. And we were hungry to see people come to faith on campus in that y- year prior. In the year prior. To the year i'm about to refer to we'd only seen eight students come to faith in the entire san diego division mm-hmm. eight people come to faith through our ministry mm-hmm. and that just felt wrong i just feels mm-hmm. like you know, there's, a, there's a bigger harvest out there like, the harvest is plentiful what like, are we doing
1: like there's this whole ministry in san diego there are probably several intervarsity staff maybe even a few chapters of and but there's certainly at
3: least 20 staff yeah we're on eight campuses and we have eight students who've come to faith in the entire year yeah and that just became a crisis yeah which is often the case with revivals where you're willing to be honest about the crisis that you're facing yeah you're willing to as what jim collins says face the brutal facts yeah and let it become create the spiritual energy for a heart longing for breakthrough but at any rate me and this team of staff started praying on a weekly basis to see every week someone come to faith. We did that for a 10-week period. And as we started to, to do that, um, it wasn't this explosive, all of a sudden, droves of people are coming to faith. Mm-hmm. But we saw a slow trickle. Yeah, Maybe if I were to pick a metaphor, it's like the river in Ezekiel, you know, as mm-hmm. it's coming out of the throne. It's just this little stream barely trickling yeah. out. and But something is happening, right? That To have people on a weekly basis coming to faith was a new thing. Right. That kind of praying was disruptive for us. Huh. It was spiritually transformative for us. It was disruptive for our spirituality and our rhythm of ministry.
1: Yeah,
3: and that's an important dynamic of revival, dimension right. of revival. It revival is going to mess with the Christian. It's going to mess with the leaders. Yeah, and it's going to um, result in a tidal wave of disruption that emanates out from those people and. Well, and we were seeing it affect, you know, staff around us. Why are you not available at that time? And they would try to, people try to schedule things with us at that time. And like, we cannot miss this time. We're praying. Yeah. And we're not going to miss it. And it's Monday to Friday every day. And it was right in the middle of the day at the most inconvenient time hmm. as a way of reminding us that we need God. Yeah. You know, we wanted to interrupt ourselves at the peak of our productivity to remind ourselves that God, this is about you. Yeah. But we're not going to spend the whole day just praying in disregard the things that God's asking us to do either. Yeah. Now that ten weeks, of praying resulted in a consistent flow of believers, hmm. of new believers, people coming to faith every week, and that was really really exciting. By the end of that year, we saw some like thirty six people come to faith. Wow,
1: that's amazing. Yeah, I mean, on, the, that's, on one campus.
3: Yeah, just on one campus. So yeah. if you have eight in one year, then you have thirty six the next. I mean, that's like what the heck happened? Yeah. Yeah. And um, that's that's significant. Um, it's certainly the rumblings of a, of a revival dynamic, it's, but it's still at its infancy stage. Yeah. Because it's just me and a small group of staff and it's starting to disrupt our fellowship, but not significantly. So I'd maybe call it a 2.0 type of revival dynamic.
1: Like on the Richter scale of revival. Yeah, like, it's real.
3: There's something happening. Yeah. There's a breakthrough in the status quo. There's a shift in the status quo. Yeah. The kingdom of God is breaking in, it's disrupting us as the leaders and as the believers, yeah. and it's resulting in an impact on the campus yeah. and those who are outside of God's family. And but it's it uh it it was going to require years of continued um, faithfulness to that dynamic of yeah. cultivating it, of continued risk taking, letting the spirit yeah. stretch us, before we got to the point where we started seeing yeah. six hundred students in a year come to faith.
1: Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And what was different about um, leading in that way? So, like, part of our our title of our podcast is revival leadership, and so part of what I hear you saying, and Adam, you interrupt anytime here, but is revival is a disruptive breach in the spiritual status quo that, you know, ushers in the kingdom. But that really requires a different kind of leadership than, um, you know, maybe a lot of us are used to, right? I mean, it's a, um, to hear you describe, I mean, it, it involves like being able to welcome a disruption in the status quo, and it's uncomfortable, probably. Like, mm. it's probably, what are some things you've learned about wh- what revival leadership is like, and um, how it differs from just kind of a maintenance leadership? Like, what kind of, you know, what are, just talk about, um, what are some facets of revival leadership that you've learned through that experience?
3: I can give like a, maybe a metaphor yeah. to kind of encapsulate maybe the other comments that I'll yeah. make and we can discuss. Yeah. It's different than what we would maybe call normal or normal sort of spiritual leadership in the sense of maybe it's different like the maintenance as you call it. Yeah. It's it's different in that way is, is there's a difference between adaptive leadership and technical leadership, right? You can have a, you can lead an organization and bring technical change. You can change things at a technical level. Um, things that,
0: like we did this, now we're going to do this, and this is how we do it.
3: Yeah, and there's probably different ways we can understand that technical change. We can understand technical change if we're just going to do different things. We're going to apply different tools, different techniques, different methodology. Mm-hmm. There's a lot more about the difference between the two, but let's just stick with that. Whereas adaptive change will just maybe simplify as it's not just what we're doing, it's how we're doing it, but even deeper, why we're doing it mm. differently. It, it gets to to the deeper drivers and underpinnings of the people who are leading, who are uh, bringing the leadership and the people who are being led. And so it, it results in, yeah, new ways of doing things, but it, it results, I think, in, uh, in terms of revival of leadership, it results in what's driving us to do the things that we're doing. Huh. And that's why it's not just about going out and doing, like you look at any revival and you're going to see the normative work of the Holy Spirit. You're going to see right. the Holy Spirit doing things we all would consider normal kingdom work. Yeah. And so you're going to see the people coming to faith. You're going to see Christians praying for non-believing friends. What's different? Is it just a numeric issue? Is that all that's different between a revival and a non-revival type context? It's not just a numeric thing. Huh. There's a qualitative difference. What's the qualitative difference? Is it enthusiasm? Is it excitement? No, because you wouldn't be able to say that all that just simply being excited or that people are, you know, thrilled about something by itself captures the difference. Revival leadership is bringing in a, um, an adaptive type of change to that community. Huh. First, to the Christian community. Huh. Um, there's going to be a change that gets at the the heart of the people. Yeah. And that's what's so exciting about revival leadership. There's a fundamental status quo shift that's going to happen in the hearts of the individuals um that's then going to have a a ripple effect, you yeah. know, outward. And that's what yeah. makes the revival dynamic in the community, the impact on the community so powerful. Yeah. And it's not just like, "Oh, we're going to do this cool outreach to get new people in our church."
1: Yeah. It's like something at the heart of the church, the 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 campus fellowship. Something at the heart of at least the core group of leaders in the quality of their life with God is gonna fundamentally change. Yeah like their their worldview, their kind of motivations, like what wakes them up in the morning, how they see things during the day is gonna change radically. Is that that's what you're talking about?
3: Right. And I think that you're you're talking we're talk, using this phrase about we're talking about change, we're talking about a breach of the status quo. And I think right there is the at the core of revival leadership is its focus that the revival leadership is honing in on that um that that uh intersection um where the status quo is giving way to in um, a breakthrough of the, the kingdom of god and it's a different kind of leadership. you know. Right now there's a lot of books written just even from a non-spiritual perspective about change culture, how mm-hmm. to bring change, how mm-hmm. to lead change. Why mm-hmm. talk about that? Mm-hmm. Why talk about leading change? Why not just talk about any kind of change? Mm-hmm. But because there's unique dynamics, unique elements at play. People are going through things emotionally, psychologically, socially, that's mm-hmm. unique when there's a change process. Mm-hmm. And that's certainly true um, on a, Um, For a community that's going through not just maybe an organizational change, but like a a deep spiritual change. So, Mm -hmm. let me get down to brass tacks. Mm -hmm. You can motivate a community of people to go out and witness. And let's say they're what's driving that? Well, Mm -hmm. we want our church is getting small. We want to see more people here. Yeah. We want to feel like we're making an impact. Um, The pastor gave this motivating message, and we're feeling guilty about sitting on our butts and not being more active in the community. Yeah. Um, for me, when I when what I see when I read about the history of revival, is the why. Yeah, that's it. That's the the, the new that the epicenter of it. Yeah, the core of it. And one one example of that is people begin to be invaded in their hearts with God's love for lost people.
1: Yeah.
3: Now, you just let's just pause right there. That is so different than, I feel guilty about this. Yeah. Oh, I should do it because it's what my pastor thinks, it's what good Christians do.
1: Yeah.
3: It's not a should do it. Yeah. It's not I have to do this.
1: Yeah.
3: It's oh my God, how can I not do this? Finney right. talks about this. Yeah. Finney
1: talks about Charles Finney.
3: Yeah, Charles Finney. He talks about what was happening to people during the revival and people were confused by the the intensity of emotion. It's yeah. not the emotion, it's what's at this root of the emotion. Right. He's talking about these people, this woman, for example, who is on her face just weeping yeah. with her a heart for the yeah. lost people. Yeah. And what is it that's happening to this woman? Christ's love for lost people has broken into her heart. Yeah, That spiritual transaction, that breakthrough yeah. is what we're talking about. Yeah. And that's a spiritual transaction you can't manufacture. Right. You can't manipulate that because the, the fruit between... Someone who's been invaded by God's love for their for lost people, whether it be their family, their roommate, their campus, yeah. is so radically different. Yeah. Then the fruit of someone who's doing it because it's what they're supposed to do. They're doing it because there's a cute girl in the fellowship. They're yeah. doing it because they feel guilt tripped to do it, yeah. you know. Because they write some book and they're feeling kind of like they want to make a difference in the world, which are all fine, you know, we all done that.
1: Or maybe they're in ministry and they feel like, oh, I gotta make my church. This is my job,
3: I gotta make my hit my numbers. Yeah. But revival gets to that and that's why I kind of related to an adaptive change something deeper than yeah. just we're gonna use a new method and a new tool. yeah sure it can result in new methods yeah. it can result in the courage to do new things in yeah. new ways that you never would have the guts to try yeah like in San Diego at UCSD we were so just so hungry to see people coming to faith we were we started giving invitations to faith at large groups at our large gatherings yeah. and I was we were nervous we were really nervous about failing, about looking stupid, about scaring people away, but we just, we, we want people to come to faith. We have to start asking them.
1: Well, I think you were telling me at one point, you you made a lot of invitations to faith before you saw a lot of people come to faith, right? I mean, you got up at the large group and are like, hey, if there's anyone that um, wants to come to Jesus, like, you know, raise your hand, whatever. And um, it wasn't exactly like, uh, instant success, right? I mean, it was like
3: yeah, and that probably gets to the the tra- the necessary traits of you know of someone who is going to begin yearning for revival anywhere yeah. and begin to ask God to use them to mm-hmm. um, cry out for revival in in, in any place. Yeah. you're going to have to be you have to persevere. Yeah, and Jesus has so much to say about that. Okay. We see so many examples in early church yeah. history. Um, but but yeah, what, it was a year of giving invitations of faith. It was a before year, a year of doing. We it. saw anyone respond but, positively.
1: But part of that speaks to the fundamental adaptive change that you're talking about, because I mean, that's a hard thing to get up and try this very vulnerable. I mean, it's like you know, it's yeah. you. Mm-hmm.
0: Enthusiasm is enough. Yeah, it's like right. hey,
1: because <laughs> if it worked the first time and it's bearing fruit, like I could see how hey, it's working, it's bearing fruit. But the desire in your heart has to be fairly profound in order to, like, get up there, give a call, nothing happens. Get up there, give a call, nothing happens. Like, like um, it speaks to, A, the change that God works in an individual heart of somebody that is invaded by that love. And, um, yeah, and B, it speaks to the kind of persevering attitude that's necessary for revival leadership.
2: We'll pick up part two of this conversation in the next episode, but we're praying that as you're listening to this first part of the conversation, some of you are feeling inspired, that something may be stirring in you, even as you listen. We're praying you're you're feeling at least those first inklings of a desire to see an adaptive change, to see a deep breakthrough level change happen in your community, in your context, the kind of change that would usher in a new normal of kingdom experience. Now, Ryan shared, began to share today about the change that happened in his own life and his family and the breakthrough God led him and others to seek at UCSD. What kind of kingdom breakthrough is God leading you to seek him for? Maybe like Ryan, you, you want to see hearts invaded by God's love for lost people. You want to see the people of God so moved by divine love that they began taking the kind of bold risks, the kind of steps of faith that would have been previously inconceivable in the status quo they're used to. Or maybe you're longing to see a breakthrough in the area of multi-ethnicity in your church and racial reconciliation and racial justice that comes with that. Or maybe... It's a breakthrough in the supernatural, and healing and deliverance. You want to see people healed and set free and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Whatever it is, whatever God's stirring in your heart, we're inviting you to take a step into revival leadership. The first task of revival leaders is to pray. And so may God open your heart to Him. May God help you begin asking Him to invade your community with His kingdom. But may God move you to ask him to start that change in your own heart, in your own life.
0: Thanks for joining us again on the podcast today. Be sure to check out the second part of our conversation with Ryan in the next episode. Um, feel free uh, to check us out on the web at revivalleadershippodcast.com. You can email us. We'd love to hear from you. love to hear your feedback, thoughts, um, any ways that this podcast is impacting you at Podcast at gmail.com. We're on Instagram and Patreon. Uh, and if you would uh, be so kind as to share the podcast, you could leave us a rating in the iTunes store. That'll help other folks to see it. Uh, and if you want to leave a comment there also, that would be wonderful. Um, all right, we'll see you guys next time.